0: Well, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago that this fall I was going to be preaching a series on the future and the end times, uh, and that I also wanted to share some things related to Christians' engagement in the culture uh, in this important time in our history. I had envisioned that second thing being perhaps a a week or two uh, topic, but as I got more involved in preparing for the things that I wanted to share this fall, I came to feel. Uh, that it was important to spend a little bit more time on our engagement with the culture and specifically about Christians and political engagement. And so today and for the next four Sundays, I'm going to be sharing a series uh, called Principles for Christian Political Engagement. And then on October 11th, I will finally deliver on the promise that so many of you have been clamoring for for many, many years, and we will talk about the future and the end times in a series that I'm going to call What We Know About the Future. Now, I realize that for some of you here today, and especially for those of you who might be visiting with us for the first or second or third time Being made aware of the fact that we're going to spend five weeks focused on politics, including today, probably came as very unwelcome news. Politics in our country is so divisive in the year 2020. And so I understand that when you come to church, there's a really good chance that what you would like is a respite from politics not more politics and so i understand that and so in a sense i apologize not really but and i'll and i'll explain why but i understand the tension i understand the tension and so uh and and so you know it was just your lucky day you showed up here and we're going to talk about politics and so i feel a, a little a little bad about that um And I understand that for some, uh, any discussion of politics in church just seems like that's wrong, like you just shouldn't talk about politics in church. It's just something that really uh, should not happen. And so I want to try to put you at ease before we get into this series, and I want to give you a quick explanation why I think it's important for us to talk about this. First, I want to assure you that my goal in this series is to share biblical principles for christian political engagement it is not to endorse candidates or parties and so i do not have partisan intentions with this series now that said the truth is i do have political viewpoints that i believe are informed by scripture and you may identify some of my viewpoints uh, throughout this series Uh, If you follow me on Facebook, you know that I have political viewpoints, and that's on you for following me. You would not know that if you would just stay off of Facebook and not follow me. Uh, But but if you follow me on Facebook, you know that. And, And so I can't promise you that you won't figure out some viewpoints that I have throughout this series, but I assure you that my intentions are not partisan. So you don't have to worry that i'm going to tell you how to vote i'm not going to tell you what party you should be part of though i do believe that as we go through these principles and we may you know apply them differently one of us from the other but i do believe that the principles uh, that we consider may influence party and candidate decisions that people make now here's the reason that i think this series is important even with the inherent risk Of such a series and taking on such a topic and the reason is captured in a quote by Abraham Kuyper who said this there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine it's all mine everything is mine Christ says, Jesus Christ is sovereign over all. Everything in the entire created order is his. Jesus sets up kings and rulers. He removes kings and rulers. He sets up presidents and he removes presidents. Everything is his, including you, And including your politics your politics belong to Jesus how you engage politically matters to him God looks at your politics and whether he is pleased with what he sees or not he says of your politics that's mine that's mine for some it's an affirmation that's mine, and you're doing good with what, I've, what I own. For some, God may be saying, give your politics back to me. It's mine. Our political viewpoints and how we engage politically belong to God. It is not an area of life that we are permitted to exclude God from. And so that's why, even though I know it creates discomfort, that's why it is okay to talk about this at church. In fact, I think it is an absolute necessity to talk about this at church because we cannot, as believers, say, God, this area of my life, you don't have anything to say about that. That's mine. We, we don't get to say that. Believing that he is Lord of all, including politics, makes this an important topic for us to cover because to make him lord of our political engagement happens as we apply biblical principles to that political engagement and so what i want to do today is i want to share some foundational principles and obligations that inform christian political engagement so i'm asking you to open up your hearts open up your minds to what God may want to speak to you today. Don't shut down on me because you previously had a bad experience with the topic of politics in church. Don't erect a wall around your heart because you're afraid that I'm going to say something that you don't like. Just open up your hearts and minds and invite God to speak to you today. Will you do that? Okay. So let's begin by considering some foundational principles for Christian political engagement here is the first and I believe this is the most foundational principle for political engagement and in fact for all of life our highest allegiance as believers is to Christ and his kingdom hey Steve if you could turn me up just a tad I feel like I'm struggling a little bit Our highest allegiance is to Christ and his kingdom. We can and should, I believe, love our nation. I believe it's okay to give allegiance to our nation. But our highest allegiance must be to Christ and to his kingdom. And so when it comes to political engagement, we can join together with others who share our values, who share our policy positions for the purpose of influencing our government. I believe it's perfectly fine for Christians to do those things. It is fine for Christians to be part of political parties. But our highest allegiance can never be to party. Our highest allegiance must always be to Christ and his kingdom. And so here's what this means, friends. When the political party of your choosing takes a position that is at odds with your God-given worldview and values, at least on that policy position, you must part with your party because your highest allegiance is to Christ, not to a political party. Exodus 23, the very first of the Ten Commandments given by God is this one you shall have no other gods before me. Nothing can be placed in front of God. Believers simply cannot have anything in their lives to which they give higher allegiance than what they give to Jesus Christ. Christ must be above all. Above all. It's okay to love your country. It's okay to love the United States of America as long as you love God more. Do you love God more than you love your country? As a believer, you're, you, you must. Nothing can be above God. It's okay to be involved in political associations and parties as long as your highest loyalty is to Christ and His kingdom. Isaiah 46, 9, God said this, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Anything that we give higher allegiance to than what we give to God, than what we give to Christ, that thing becomes an idol in our lives. It becomes a false God that we serve over and above the only God who really is. I love our country. But if I love our country more than God, then my country has become an idol to me. It has become a false god. If I make my political affiliation something that's of more value to me than God is, then that political affiliation is an idol. It becomes a false god. Country, party, these are things that we can make idols out of if we love them more than God. And if we give them a higher allegiance than what we give to Jesus Christ. And so for Christian political engagement, this is the starting point, the foundational principle. Our highest allegiance is to Christ and His kingdom. And then the second foundational principle is very similar. It's basically one and the same. It, 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 this foundational principle for Christian political engagement, uh, the two greatest commandments, the two greatest commandments, okay? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 22. He was asked which of the commandments was the greatest one. And here's how he answered in Matthew 22:37 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments foundational principles for Christian political engagement and for all of life love God with your whole being and love your neighbor as yourself this means that our political engagement our positions on political issues the political alliances that we make Everything about our politics needs to be driven by two things, our love of God and our love of our fellow man. Christians must approach every political issue with two questions guiding their decisions. What position on this issue is most pleasing to God, and what position on this issue is in the best interest of my Fellow man, and sometimes we have to answer that question. Ask this question: What position on this issue is in the best interest of the most people? Okay, what, what, what is in the best interest of the most people? And so, foundational principles for Christian political engagement: our highest allegiance is to Christ and His kingdom. Our politics must be driven by love of God and our love of fellow man. What pleases God? What is in the best interest of the most people? what is in the best interest of our fellow man. Two obligations flow out of these foundational principles of allegiance to Christ and love of our fellow man. Here is the first obligation for Christians that flow out of these foundational principles. It is the obligation to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. That's our first obligation. Second Corinthians 5 19 and 20 says this, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Our very first obligation that flows out of love of God and love of our fellow man is to be Christ's representatives to the world for this ministry of reconciliation that God has given to us. We are to implore people on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We do this by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. We do this by proclaiming to people that they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Simply stated, we have an obligation to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. I feel like we talk about this uh, quite a bit around here. And sometime in the first half of 2021, we're planning to devote a sermon series to helping us become more consistent in fulfilling this obligation of sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. But our purposes for this series go beyond sharing the gospel. Because sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus is not the only obligation that flows out of our allegiance to Christ and our love of our fellow man. The other obligation is to work for the good of our fellow man in every area of life. Sharing the gospel is our first and most important obligation, but it's not our only obligation. Working for the good of our fellow man is a Bible-endorsed responsibility. It is a Christian obligation. Good schools, safe roads, educational opportunity, safe communities, strong economy. Religious freedom, food, clothing, shelter. These are all things that Christians are to care about for their fellow man because God cares about all of these things for the people that he created. This is obvious throughout Scripture. One of the places we see it very clearly is in Jeremiah 29. God moved upon the prophet Jeremiah to deliver a message to his people who had been carried away into Babylonian captivity. And here's what God said to his people. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, and this is where I really want to emphasize, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now understand what this passage is talking about here. The people of God had been carried away from their homeland, and they are in captivity in Babylon. They're there against their will you understand that in a very real sense, this world is not our home? You, you know that, right? Amen. It's true we are dual citizens, but heaven is our real home. And I hear more and more Christians lately saying, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for heaven. And, and so I think a lot of people are feeling like, hey, I'm sort of still here against my own will. I'd like Jesus to come back. And just like wrap this thing up. But he hasn't done that. We live in this world, even though we're citizens of heaven. And so what does God call people to do wherever they are? He calls them to build houses, plant gardens, marry, increase in number. He calls them to seek the peace and prosperity of their city, their state, their nation. In short, we are to work for the good of our fellow man in every area of life. You remember when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray? One of the things he said to them is that they should pray to God, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so here's what we do, friends. We think of what will be true in heaven, and we pray for that to be true now on earth, and then we work to make that true. We realize it will never be fully realized until Christ returns, but we pray and we work for the inbreaking of the future kingdom of God into this present world. So so let's think about some of the things that won't exist in heaven, okay? There will be no homelessness in heaven. And so Christians, it is a good use of a Christian's time to pray and work to end homelessness here and now. We we all have a responsibility to share the gospel and we should do that. But God's going to call some Christians to focus most of their efforts on alleviating homelessness in the here and now. And that's okay. That's okay. There won't be any poverty in heaven. And so it's a good use of Christians' efforts to try to alleviate and end poverty, at least where we can and for whom we can, in the here and now. There won't be any child trafficking in heaven. And so we pray and we work toward ending child trafficking now. And these are all good uses of a Christian's time. And so we have two obligations that flow out of allegiance to Christ and our love of our fellow man to share the gospel and to work for the good of our fellow man in every area of life. So here's what this means it means that we have obligations for the eternal well being. Of our fellow man but we not only have obligations for their eternal well-being we also have obligations for the temporal well-being of our fellow man we have an obligation to tell people about their need of a savior and that the Savior is Jesus and we have an obligation to pray and work toward those things that work toward the well-being of our fellow man in the here and now Those things that contribute to human flourishing, to to, to humans being and having the best that they can have in this life now. And here's where political engagement comes into play. This next statement is a very true statement. Governments have incredible power to impact the well-being of their citizens. Governments have incredible power to impact the well-being of their citizens. Governments can either enhance the safety of citizens or put the safety of citizens at risk in many ways. Governments can promote promote morality that contributes to the common good or promote immorality that the Bible says is a reproach to any people. You know, when the Bible says that sin is a reproach to any people, what it's essentially saying is sin isn't just a problem for the people of God. It's a problem for everybody, whether they realize it or not. (laughs) And so government can be a force for promoting morality that pleases God, which is morality that contributes to the common good. Or a government can promote immorality that ultimately damages the common good. Governments can enact policies that promote work while providing a safety net for those in need. Or they can promote policies that disincentivize work, which has a corrosive effect on the human soul. Government policy can support the nuclear family, the building block of society, or undermine the nuclear family and unleash havoc on its citizens. We're going to talk about this more next week, but this is why our responsibility to work for the good of our fellow man necessitates, I believe, it necessitates that Christians be politically engaged because governments wield tremendous power to contribute to human flourishing or to do great harm to people. You tell me. Are people better off living in North Korea or South Korea? Is a South American better off to live in Chile or Venezuela? These are rhetorical questions because the answers are obvious. The answers are obvious. And this is why I find it very unfortunate that a growing number of Christians seems to believe That Christians should just opt out of politics altogether, cede the direction of the government to secular forces and misguided Christian voices who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And we're going to talk more about that next week. So we have a God-given responsibility for the eternal well-being and the temporal well-being of our fellow man. And here's an important point. That includes our family and friends. That includes the people sitting around you. That includes the people in your home. That includes the people who are the closest to us. As I've just acknowledged, there are a growing number of voices out there who want Christians to just be silent in the public arena uh, and let whatever happens, happens, uh, whatever happens, happen without bringing our influence to bear on the government. But here's what that is, friends. It is an abdication of our responsibility to our fellow man, all of them, but it's also an abdication of our obligation to the people that we are most closely responsible for their well-being, our friends and our family. For the good of our fellow man, for the good of our family and friends, and because government has such incredible power for good or evil, Christians ought to be politically engaged. I'm overwhelmed by your support today. I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) Thank you. Begging is always the best way to get additional support. Many prominent voices want to discourage our political engagement. And many of those prominent voices are Christian voices. And here's how they discourage our political engagement, one of the the strategies they use. They discourage our engagement by pitting our eternal and temporal obligations against each other. And so here's what they do they say things like this they say now listen you don't want to publicly advocate for an unpopular political position because if you do that that's going to hurt your gospel witness for people who don't agree with you and what they usually have in mind is that they want Christians to be quiet on topics that the Bible is incredibly clear about like, usually it's the most morally certain positions that they want you to be quiet about, okay? That, that, that's what they want to silence. And, and so they prefer, they're okay with talking about things where the Bible's a little, like, not so clear. And, and we can kind of come to dis, different opinions and, and positions. But they want the things the Bible is certain about to, to be avoided, And so they use our responsibility to share the gospel as a club to try to get us to reject our other responsibility, which is to work for the good of our common man, of our fellow man. I'm having trouble here today. But these are, these responsibilities are both God-given. Our responsibility for the eternal and temporal well-being, they're both God-given. And here's what this means. They are not in conflict with each other. They're not. Which means that we can both tell people about Jesus, share the gospel, as well as vote, and advocate for things that are in the best interest of our fellow man. And we can do that trusting God to work in the hearts and minds of people who don't know Him and draw them to Himself. Here's what the position of these voices that try to silence Christians in the public square, here's uh, what their position essentially is. Don't advocate for truth publicly so that you can lead people to the truth. Don't talk about small t truth so that you can get people to accept large T, uh, capital T, truth. We all need to be reminded that it is the Holy Spirit that draws men to Christ, not our abdication of our God-given responsibility to be salt in a decaying culture. Now there I felt your support and that was good. I liked that. Uh, Good job, church. Now a couple weeks from now I'm going to share about engaging in politics respectfully and civilly. And I will say that if we fail at that, then I do believe we can be at fault for harming our gospel witness. But it is nothing more than a tactic of the enemy for the destruction of society and individual people to get Bible believing Christians to retreat from the public square and yield the direction of the nation to the forces of darkness and then call that an evangelism strategy. It's offensive. It's offensive. So Christians should embrace both our obligations that flow out of our allegiance to Christ and our love of our fellow man, and we should reject the voices that try to pit these two obligations against each other. And the truth, friends, is that governments have tremendous impact on both of our obligations. Here's another thing that I find interesting today. You you may have noticed this. Christians love to romanticize persecution and and talk about how the gospel explodes in the midst of persecution. And there's a lot of truth to that. There, there There are examples of that, quite a few examples of that historically. So I'm not saying there's no truth to that. But do you think that more people are getting saved in North Korea or South Korea? Where do you think the gospel is advancing the most? The fact that the gospel often advances under persecution does not require Christians to desire persecution. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't change the fact that governments can actually severely curtail impede in many cases virtually snuff out the spread of the gospel and so for both gospel witness and the temporal well-being of our fellow man the actions of governments make a difference And so Christians should bring their influence to bear on their governments for the good of both the eternal and temporal well-being of their fellow man. In some places, this is not possible in any meaningful way. If you live under a dictatorship, you have very little ability to influence anything. I'm, I'm beating up on North Korea today, but you can't do this in North Korea. You can't do this in Saudi Arabia. You can't do this in Iran and many places around the world if you live in a dictatorship or some other oppressive system of government there is not much opportunity to influence that government for good but guess what we live in the united states of america which is a representative republic we have a participatory form of government our citizens are legally permitted And encouraged to participate to vote to advocate to run for office to band together to petition the government and as of right now at least Christians are fully capable of political engagement we are not excluded from the process even if some would like us to be we are not and so with our obligation to work for the good of our fellow man including our family and friends why in the world wouldn't we participate in the political process that we are legally permitted and welcomed to participate in why would we not do that with the substantial impact that governments have on human flourishing and living in a country that invites us to be involved to determine the direction of that government I believe that we have a responsibility to bring significant Christian influence on our government for the good of our fellow man and so we do that by being involved at all levels of government voting on local issues what's in the best interest of our fellow man at the local level voting on issues at the state level the national level advocating for laws that contribute to human flourishing and restrain things that are detrimental to our fellow man We do it by speaking up. Friends, it's okay to be a Christian and have a political opinion. It's okay. That's what the entire American experiment allows, is you to have an opinion. So we do it by speaking up. We do it by respectfully trying to persuade family and friends toward policy positions that contribute to the common good. We need to do it through more Christians running for city council and school board and local and state and national office. We're going to talk about this in the last week of the series, but not only do we need this to happen in politics, but we need this to happen in academia. We need this to happen in media. We need this to happen in all areas of society. Because one of the things I'm going to tell you when we get to the series on the future is none of us actually know when Jesus is going to come back. And so if he doesn't come back as soon as a lot of us think so, we better get busy getting involved in the institutions of our country or we're going to lose them if we haven't already lost them already. So Christians need to run for office. We need to do it by praying for our government. We need to do it by embracing our obligation to work for the peace and prosperity of our city, state, and nation. We need to do it by taking advantage of living in a country with participatory government, working to make that government the most responsive it can possibly be to enacting policies that advance the common good and protect the freedoms necessary to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. Um, Are you aware that we're two months from a presidential election? You've, you've picked up on that? There will also be a number of members of Congress up for uh, election in November. Are you aware that we're living in momentous times? This is not the time for believers to opt out. This isn't the time to sit on the sidelines. This is the time to get involved and work for the good Of your fellow man and we'll talk about this in a couple weeks as well but look I understand Uh, in in a congregation this size uh, even though a lot of us may have similar viewpoints we're gonna have a lot of different viewpoints here And, and the issue really isn't to get us all to think exactly alike on everything the issue is getting us to say okay How do I engage here? What positions do I support in light of, in light of, my allegiance to Christ and my love of my fellow man? Now, I think there are certain topics for believers where that's almost going to require, or I think it does require, not almost, I think it does require for us to agree on some things. But there will be a lot of things we can disagree on. We can disagree uh, based on our understanding of the Bible on certain issues we can disagree on what is the best way to uh, bring about certain outcomes that are advantageous to our fellow man and so we're going to work we're going to work through some of that Uh, but we shouldn't be sitting on the sidelines this is a time to get involved and work for the good guided by our allegiance to christ and our concern for what's best for the citizens of our nation so i want to encourage you be praying for our nation. Be praying for the political process. Be praying for who you should vote for in all offices. I encourage you to read candidates positions on the issues. Read party platforms so that you find out where parties are at on the issues. Ask God for guidance on who best serves the common good and Once you believe that God has has given you direction on that, then I encourage you to vote, I encourage you to advocate. I encourage you to take advantage of our participatory government to try to help steer this nation in the direction that's in the best interest of the most people, in the best interest of our family and our friends. We have to live here. We have to live here. Why? Why let this become something we don't want it to be? We have to live here. If the Lord doesn't return soon, we raise our kids and grandkids here. Why not make it the best that it can be? So here's my final appeal. Don't yield the government to forces of evil when you have the constitutional right to influence it for good. Don't do that. Okay, let's stand.